this concept of partnership um, isn't new, right? I mean, we, we were talking before the call about sort of my background in being a CTO at Citigroup. And at Citigroup, we had a, and I would go back to sort of 1993. Hmm. At Citigroup, we had an innovation lab. We were partnering with companies that were startup companies and everything from internet banking to firms that were developing all kinds of new call center technology. And our philosophy back then was we would invest in these companies, we would integrate them into our own infrastructure, and we would work with them to build solutions. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Back in 2009, it was all the rage to build the direct lender. It didn't matter where the capital came from. It could have come from a marketplace of investors or off a balance sheet, but the idea was that you could build a massive, scalable business by going direct. And there were some companies that emerged from this time period successful, but it proved very hard. Others, like Lendkey, took a B2B tack. Instead of going out and building a borrower acquisition model, they would work with lending institutions like regional banks and credit unions to power their lending businesses. After growing and exiting dealer track, Vince Passion, the former CTO of Citi's U.S. Consumer Bank, saw an opportunity to found and lead LendKey. Vince joins us on the show to talk about his partnership model and the challenges and opportunities of working alongside banks and credit unions, which to date have deployed more than $2 billion in lending capital on the digital platform. Vince Passion is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Well, my name is Vince Passion, and I'm the CEO and founder of LendKey. And LendKey is a lending as a service provider. Our mission is basically to empower traditional lenders, banks, and, and credit unions to become digital lenders by leveraging a very unique solution uh, that consists of five components, uh, marketing, online decisioning, digital origination, servicing, and liquidity management. And we can get into details on what that means, but that's probably the way we define lending as a service, which is what we've been doing since 2009. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, and I, we would like to drill into uh, those five components. But can we take just one step back before we jump in? Um, what's what was the genesis story? Like, how how did you get from Vince, you know, to Lenkey? And I know it started in two thousand nine. Like, what what was the genesis story there? Uh, sure. So I had exited a firm called DealerTrack, where I was president and chief operating officer. We were very successful in probably what was considered a fintech back then, but wasn't mm -hmm. called that actually. Uh, but our, our mission at, at, at DealerTrack was to empower uh, auto dealers to submit electronic applications, credit applications to banks and credit unions. And what I learned from that experience is that using technology, you can democratize an industry. And we certainly were very successful at DealerTrack in democratizing the auto finance industry. So what do I mean by that? Well, prior to DealerTrack, they were probably the captive uh, the captive finance arm of the, of the auto industry, and probably call it several dozen very, very large uh, regional and, and, and banks, um, major money center banks that were originating probably all of the auto finance in the United States. If you turn that clock forward today, present time, there are over 3,000 financial institutions, including those original players that are currently originating auto finance loans. And if you look at the way it got it is now currently redistributed, credit unions have about a 25% share of that market, which is second only to the captives. So that to me was a great example of how to use technology to democratize, to create access, right, to a certain industry. In 2009, we were in the shadow of the Great Recession and student loans, just like every other asset class, was highly reliant upon securitizations. So it was an industry that was starving for a balance sheet. Um, that became the genesis of where we launched out of. So in 2009, we came up with this idea of building out 
an end-to-end turnkey solution that would allow banks and credit unions to originate private student loans using our technology and our call center. Uh, and the concept here was that we could bring in a whole bunch of community banks and credit unions to fill the balance sheet that had been voided by a bunch of major money center banks leaving the industry. And prior to 2009, you had literally a handful of major money center banks, um, Sally May, right, being one of the largest originators, originating almost all of the private student loan volume that's there, that was out in the marketplace. Today, Len Kazo with 300 clients, most of them credit unions, some regional and community banks that are originating private student loans. And one of our competitors, as a result of our launch, has about another 300. So there are over 600 now community banks and credit unions that have entered into the education finance space as a result of this technology. And I guess when you were starting, I, I remember back in 2009, we were, we were you know, Tearsheet was up and running and, you know, the, kind of the rage at that time was, was direct lenders, you know, on new startups, digital lenders that were building their own brands and going direct to the customer. And Lanky was a little bit different because they took sort of this B2B2C approach. Did, was it, did people understand it at the time? Well, you remember it well, Zach, and the answer is no, not really. People thought we were crazy. Uh, we were the only people standing outside talking to venture capitalists that weren't wearing Disrupt t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we were trying to empower banks and credit unions. So we were viewed as contrarians at the time. I mean, any conference that was just getting started, right, supporting what was back then, P2P that became marketplace lending, was all about this concept of disrupting these traditional financial institutions, right? We can build better technology, we can build it cheaper, we can build it faster, and therefore we can disrupt them. Um, we took a different approach. I mean, given, given the background of myself and the other founders, what we realized is, from the very beginning, is that, look, the cheapest source of funding loans is someone who takes a deposit, and those are typically regulated financial institutions, banks and credit unions. Um, going out and trying to get wealthy people to fund loans, and that was the original concept, right, in peer-to-peer, mm-hmm. just didn't scale, right? And then we saw that kind of shift somewhere around 2010, 2011 to what we would call peer-to-institutional, which was, hey, we're going to go out and go direct to the consumer, but we're going to go out there and see if we can get hedge funds and others to purchase these loans. And then they shifted into marketplace lending, which was a mixed bag, right? The concept of originating loans direct to a consumer, and then turning around and using what was the traditional capital market structure, right? Whole loan sales, securitizations to fund these loans. The challenge is cost of funds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we believe from the very beginning that A, P2P would not scale, and we were correct. And we also believe that a capital market strategy for financing prime loans probably was going to be met with some challenges, right, as interest rates start to rise. And I think we were correct. Um, And as a result, we have over 300 clients today. We've originated close to $3 billion of loans for those clients directly onto their balance sheets. And so I, I think if, again, my memory probably fails me, but if we harken back to the 2009 period, I think a lot of the feeling was not just that, you know, these new brands could disrupt the banks, but that the banks couldn't figure out a partnership model, even once they got their act together. So clearly that's happening. Can you, can you talk about sort of what, you know, what it takes to successfully partner with Lenkey to, to, to launch a digital lending business? So once again, your memory serves you well, and, and, and I'd say that this concept of partnership um, isn't new, right? I mean, we, we were talking before the call about sort of my background in being a CTO at Citigroup. And at Citigroup, we had a, and I would go back to sort of 1993. Hmm. At Citigroup, we had an innovation lab. 
we were partnering with companies that were startup companies and everything from internet banking to firms that were developing all kinds of new call center technology. And our philosophy back then was we would invest in these companies, we would integrate them into our own infrastructure, and we would work with them to build solutions. Um, so this concept of partnership always existed. It's nothing new, right? And this concept of building innovation labs always existed. It is not new. Uh, it seems to circle again, and I think it's sort of, wow, this whole new thing is happening. And the answer is, no, what's old is new again, right? right. Um, as, as far as partnering goes, we weren't met with many challenges when we started in 2009, right? We went into the marketplace with a very specific solution, and that was, and I hate to use this word, we use lending as a service, but it's an outsourced solution. You, we go to clients who don't have the ability to build this technology and, and allow them to use ours. And for clients who don't have the ability to have their own call centers, and we let them use ours. So it was fairly straightforward. Now, understanding what we were doing was easy because we weren't competing with them. We weren't putting a brand in the marketplace and say, don't worry about our brand. We'll basically use your balance sheet and we'll, we'll help you buy our loans. We were originating these loans directly on their balance sheet. So there was no question in any of our early customers' minds whether we were a partner or a customer or, or, or a competitor. We were a partner, right? So now, what are some of the challenges? Well, that's an interesting thing, right? Because working with a regulated financial institution, if you're going to help, allow them to leverage your infrastructure and service their loans, there is a significant amount of due diligence that has to be conducted by them before they can turn around and take you and onboard you into their infrastructure. And what we learned early on, those early days, was basically to engage the regulators. So whether it was working with the, with the OCC or working with the NCUA, both of the regulatory bodies, both the community banks and credit unions, respectively, we went directly to them and said, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be partnering with these institutions. And your examiners are going to find in the field that there are loans that we helped originate on the balance sheets of these particular financial institutions. What are some of the concerns that you have? Well, here, financial stability, um, security, uh, the fact that you've conducted all these audits, right? The fact that every single year, um, these institutions can get access to your due diligence materials so they can represent to their examiners that they're conducting ongoing diligence to make sure that you are who you say you are and that you're maintaining all your security policies and all the things that they're regulated on. So from the early days, we engaged within the regulatory framework to ensure that we made it easy for these institutions both to pick us and to maintain us in their infrastructure. And understand that all of our institutions get, are on, a, on an annual cycle for examination. So we've now been, since this is our 10th year in business, we've been through literally thousands of examinations, right? And that old adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We've learned a lot and benefited from having these regulatory exams being conducted through our infrastructure. So. Uh, so long-winded answer to your question is what, what we were we came at the market with a very specific offer, which was to partner with our clients, provide them with a service where they can originate based on their their underwriting their pricing directly onto their balance sheets. There was no doubt in their mind that we were enabling them and not competing with them, and then understanding that there was this hurdle rate you needed to get over to actually work with a highly regulated institution, we engaged the regulatory bodies to help us understand what we had to do to post, get post the sales cycle, and then to stay engaged with them on an ongoing basis. And we've got clients that now have been with us since 2009 uh, who've gone through all those exams. And, and I guess, how did, you, how did you determine at Lanky early on um, the full product suite, I mean, those five components that you started to describe for us before, um, 
why did it have to be so broad? I mean, I guess you could have come to market with, a, I guess, a more nimble or more focused, or I, I shouldn't say focused, like a, a not, not a full-blown solution, right? You could have focused on one of those components or two of those components. Why was it important to have sort of that whole portfolio? Yeah, so, so three of them, the, the, what I would call the online decisioning, the origination and servicing, were really important from a technology perspective because mostly institutions we're talking to, we were putting them into, biz, into a business that they had no experience with, right? They were interested in it, but they had no infrastructure. They didn't have the ability to render an instant decision. They did not have the ability to allow the consumer to go through uh, a, a online origination on their, on their mobile device or their laptop, and they certainly didn't have a call center and the infrastructure to service these assets. So it was important as a base to have those three components to get started. Now, going to most institutions and telling them we want to put you into education lending or education refinance lending or unsecured home improvement loans, marketing is different in each case. And many of those institutions didn't know how to market to schools or find a, a student who might want to refinance their loan, or should say a graduate, or work with contractors that are selling right, unsecured loans uh, for, their, for their projects. So marketing became an important piece of it because our revenue model was driven by an origination fee that we only collected after we closed the loan. I like to call that our partnership revenue model, right? Because we only make money when our clients make money. There's no mm -hmm. big installation fee. There's no annual fee. And then the second is we have this annuity stream in servicing, right? Because we service the loans. Now, why did we need liquidity management? Well, that evolved over time. Our, our early customers were originating loans what we call white label. We would originate the loans directly onto their balance sheets and they would hold a loan for term, life alone. But then we started acquiring some customers who like the asset class, but they might be a credit union who only does business in a certain zip code or county, or they could be a community bank that's restricted to a very finite trading area. And their concern was twofold. A, for example, in the refi loan space, well, the average student loan refi is about $50,000. So they had concerns about geographic uh, uh, diversity as well as holding a $50,000 unsecured loan. So we built participation models where the loan could be syndicated in real time. So if you were a, a community bank or a credit union and you wanted to originate a, a $50,000 refinance loan for your customer, you could hold as little as 10% of it, and then sell 90% of it in real time before funding, and then buy 10% of everyone else's loans across the United States. So the benefit you get is you're not holding a $50,000 loan, you only have $10,000 of it or $5,000 of it, and you're building a geographically diverse portfolio, which in any kind of underwriting, the law of large numbers is your friend, right? So being geographically diverse definitely helps performance. So that was something we evolved into. And then over time, we had some clients who were originating and they started to hit their quote unquote concentration limits or what the regulators would call a limit upon, over which the regulator isn't comfortable with them holding that particular, that much of that asset class. But they still wanted to con continue to service their customers and offer a student uh, refinance loan or an in-school education loan. So we gave them the ability to originate the loan and then sell it in three days in a forward sale. So it was the, 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 the whole concept of liquidity management really evolved as our clients started to evolve from white label to smaller clients that wanted to band together in a participation network to clients who had been with us for a very long time that still wanted to service their customers but didn't have enough balance sheet. So we allowed them to continue to originate but then sell the loan. So I, I want to hear about um, your customers and maybe like some, you know, 
verbal case studies, but I just had a quick question before that. Um, how many, what's the breakdown between uh, your clients who are already in this business and decide to go digital versus the, the clients that you're actually enabling to start a whole lending business? Yes, it's very interesting. I would say that very few of our clients were in any of the asset class before we engaged them. Now, many okay. of them in the education space were federal loan lenders at one point or another, mm-hmm. but not, none of them were private. private lenders. I would say very, very few, very few. Um, and, I, and I think some of the milestone customers, you, you know, as you think about who they are and what they are, when we first started, right, we started with firms like Our Federal Credit Union, which is a credit union based out of Clark, New Jersey, or McGraw-Hill Federal Credit Union, which is based out of High State, New Jersey. And these were clients that came to us in this participation model, right? They were probably $200, $250 million in assets. They were interested in servicing their members with a solution for education uh, in school loans as well as refinance loans. Um, So they came to us both, and then we started to build, right, a network of these, these like-minded credit unions that were doing loan participations. Uh, then in 2014, Navy Federal Credit Union came to us, largest credit union in the country. Uh, and they were very, very focused. They knew there was a unique opportunity within their client base uh, to offer both in-school education loans as well as assist their membership uh, in refinancing their student loan debt. So this is a $100 billion institution, right, that, had, that has very large scale. And they wanted a white label solution. So it was their underwriting, their pricing, their branding, answering the phone, Navy Federal. So very, very unique. And then probably a few years later, you know, we launched with, uh, with WSFS Bank, right? Once again, a white label solution for a bank that was heavily skewed, right, towards commercial loans that wanted to diversify into consumer loans. So it gives you sort of a sense of how we've kind of changed over time. And we started in education lending in 2009. And then 2011, our clients came to us and said, what happens when they graduate, right? I want to help them refinance the student loan debt. So we, we launched a student refinance program. And then about a year ago, uh, we got engaged with several of our clients looking at the whole home improvement space. And today we're originating unsecured home improvement loans with about 600 contractors or so that are selling everything from pools and spas to windows. And what does the sales cycle look like? Obviously, you know, these are regulated institutions. We know financial industry, you know, moves relatively slower than some other industries. Um, not necessarily just from a time perspective, like what are, what are the hurdles that you guys have to get over to, to get to the finish line with, your, with a new client? Yeah, so so as far as time goes, the old answer is it depends, right? The right. larger is the, the institution sometimes, right? The more hurdles you need to go over because there are more departments to deal with, right? Um, as, far as, as far as the hurdles, I think we covered it earlier, right? Um, the first thing is what's the opportunity within my trading area, right? So typically in a sales cycle, we'll assist a client. They'll have an idea that they want to be engaged, but we'll assist them in sizing the market opportunity, both within their current customer base as well as within their geographic territories that they do business with. So our sales specialists definitely get engaged in sizing the opportunity. The second is assisting them with profitability analysis, right? Uh, They're going to pay to acquire these loans in some cases. They have to pay to have these loans originated and serviced. So we go through a full life cycle profitability analysis with them and show them how much, what, what kind of return they would get on these assets over time. And then the third is the toughest, and that's the due diligence, right? That's meeting with their compliance department. If they're a large enough organization, like someone like Navy, their chief information security officer, which is obviously a a huge hurdle, right, to get over given the concerns uh, around data security. Uh, And then then preparing, 
right, all the due, the due diligence materials that they would utilize on an annual basis because every year they need to go over those materials again and prove to their regulator that they are continually conducting that kind of diligence to ensure that the company is still doing what it said it was doing in its original proposal. Wow, it sounds like you take such a proactive approach in, in, in helping the, these partnerships come to, come to, to light. Um, I guess in the remaining time, we have time for one last question. Um, from a product or a delivery perspective, like what are your big audacious goals looking back, looking on to like sort of the second half of 2019? What, do, what are you getting your team ready for? So, you know, our view of this, uh, uh, of lending as a service, it should be asset agnostic, right? Our clients should be able to come to us and basically originate any kind of consumer loan. And it makes good business sense because given the hurdle we talked about, both the sales cycle as well as the diligence cycle, once they're through it, today it's great because my clients will say to me, wow, I conduct this diligence and I get access to three products. So our goal is that our customers should be able to go through that diligence and know that anytime they like, if they have a new product idea, right, if it's a consumer loan, they can conduct it on our platform. So right now what we're doing, and I'd like to say the original vision was to make it asset agnostic, and it wasn't, right? We're a small company. We had a very defined focus in education lending. But, what we, but as you can realize, in any consumer asset class, right, the ability to render an instant decision, to digitally originate the loan and service the loan is fairly common. So right now our teams are working on basically breaking up this architecture into a number of services that can be put together in different ways so that our clients can turn around and originate any consumer type loan in the future. Well, very interesting. We'd like to see that evolution occur. Vince, thank you so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me.